day, and there's a lot of things happening spiritually that we could read in the text and behind the scenes, so we'll be some in the Old Testament this morning as well. Now, before we get there, uh, first of all, let's let you know where you can put your thumb if you have a Bible. We're going to be in Matthew 21, first 11 verses of the chapter, but before we do that, uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I got a chance to run something called the Texas Independence Relay. So anybody ever heard of TIR? Anybody heard of that? Dee has, because she's like... So, so this is a, it's a team relay race that follows the Texas's war for the uh, path of independence. And it starts in Gonzales, Texas, and ends in Houston, Texas. Right? So those are next door to each other. And so it's about 200 miles, and we have a team of 12. And there's like 1,400 people that run this relay race from Gonzales to Houston. And what's great about it is you have two team vans, everybody kind of crowds in these vans, you're sweaty and stinky, you know, you see all these things, you're running through these small Texas towns that you'll never visit otherwise, and there's a lot of camaraderie. But the hard thing is, is you ha each have a projected finish, and you, the goal is, as a team, to beat your projected finish, right? And so you run in a little over 24 hours with little to no sleep, and depending on how your coach likes you or not, you run either more miles or less miles. See what I'm saying? You know, and so this past year, I ran 18 and a half miles, which is, you're like, okay, that's a lot. It is a lot. But what makes it hard is you don't run it all at once. And so you run, and then you wait six hours. And then you run, and then you wait six more hours to run your third leg. And at that point, when you get my age, like, I get a little tired, a little cranky, a little hungry, a little sleep-deprived, I'm a little sore, a little tight, which makes it hard to run, Right? But yet, you know, you have people cheering, and you kind of keep pushing through. And, and believe, me, believe me, it's a lot of fun. I know nobody's like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my life. I get it. But here's, what's, here's what I like about it. Like, there's no other place or no other time in my, my general existence where I could just focus on when is it my next turn to run, and what are we doing right now to get there. So for me, it's kind of a mental break, right? Well, last year, and so everybody runs in the middle of the night. So your second leg is typically in the middle of the night. And last year, uh, because of COVID, we didn't run in Houston. We ran to Burnham, or Brenham, excuse me. Anybody know where Brenham is? Anybody know what's significant about Brenham, Texas? Bluebell, right? So we're running to Bluebell, and so we got Bluebell ice cream at the end, which is great, which goes good with pizza, by the way. But anyway, um, and so I'm running in the middle of nowhere. There's nobody around me. It's Two o'clock in the morning, I've got a headlamp, I'm, you know, like I said, middle of nowhere, and there's these houses way off the roads, right? No big deal. I'm alone. Like, my team van has already said, hey, do you need anything? No, I'm good. You know, I, I'm running to this place. I can't remember where. I've got my headphones in, and as I'm running, I hear these dogs barking. So, you're like, okay, well, it's no big deal. Well, here's the thing. My headphones are turned all the way up. And so if I'm hearing dogs barking, that means they're, like, right behind me, right? And so these dogs had wandered. It wasn't like I crossed the driveway. They had ran, ran all the way from wherever their house was, way over here, like a half a mile away, to come say hi to me, which when you're by yourself and it's 2 o'clock in the morning and you're like, I'm going to watch myself expire as these dogs eat me. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, that's what you're thinking. Well, on my left... Coyotes hear the dogs barking, and now they're coming through the brush towards the road. And so I've got dogs behind me, which I haven't turned around yet because, you know, you turn around and you die. Everybody knows that. Like, if you turn around in a horror movie, you die. So, like, you know you don't do that. So I've got dogs 
coming behind me. I've got this noise coming, which I don't know how many it is. And you know how a brush is. Like when something moves to the brush, it sounds like there's a hundred of them. It's probably a squirrel. But anyway, you know what I mean? Like it, whatever. And, and so I move to the other side of the road, at least get away from the things on my left. Well, in country roads, you ever seen these? They get stamped with these uh, grids so that it noise strips. So if you are off the road, you rumble, the rumble strip or whatever. Well, they'd also stamp the second strip, or uh, sorry, the center strip, and I tripped and fell. So like in the dark, you know, so I caught a toe. I'm running a little bit faster than I normally would, right? Like it's funny when you go back and look at my watch, like I went from a nine-minute time to like 6.30, like within about 100 yards. So I was kind of sprinting. And so I fell, and I had a water pouch, and as I slammed, caught myself on the ground, like all my water shot out of my little water bottle. And so it's like I've got dogs on me. I'm like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, you know. And, well, they stop, and I'm fine, but I've got, like, a bloody elbow and a bloody knee, whatever. No big deal. And so I'm thinking, this year, it can't be any worse than that, right? Because I, I thought, like, I was going to lose my life, I was going to widow my wife, and then all the things, right? Which she's probably like, that's good, right? I could collect on the insurance. But anyway, <laughs> don't agree. Okay, but anyway. Uh, so this year, my night race, or my night leg, is in Eagle Lake, Texas, and it's the third longest leg and I'm like, okay, I'm not in the middle of nowhere. We're all around. This is good. Here's the problem with the Eagle Lake leg. It's six and a half miles, a flat, straight road, which if you run a flat, straight road, it's really boring. And so I'm running to this grain elevator. So for an hour, I'm running to this light on the horizon that I could see at the beginning, and it never gets closer. Any runners in the room may understand what I'm talking about? Like, it never gets closer. So for I'm like, oh, my gosh, this doesn't make any sense. Like, I know I'm running, I'm running well, and this light never gets any closer. And believe it or not, this year was actually worse than last year because at least I had a little action in the middle of my leg, right? And so I was never so happy to find the finish line on the leg a couple weeks ago because I was just done. Like, mentally, I was just like, ugh. And you know what I'm talking about, right? Like sometimes you're physically tired, but mental tiredness is actually worse than physical tiredness, right? You can kind of push through the physical thing, but man, when your mind checks out and when your mind's just kind of toast and like, I need that I'm done for a while, like there's just nothing else to do. And that's what Palm Sunday was for Jesus' followers. They thought it was going to be a finish line. They thought it was going to be a finish line Finally, we have been following this guy named Jesus for three years who claims to be the Messiah. And now we're entering Jerusalem and we're arriving at the finish line. There's the light on the grain elevator in the middle of nowhere, Texas, except they were in the most important city in Israel. Finally, our time has arrived. You ever felt that, right? The place of political and religious power. And we're going to change things for the better because we are going to be in charge but in reality what jesus followers thought was the finish line for their movement was actually the starting line for something else what they thought was they were going to cross the finish line and in fact jesus was just starting his race during holy week and it doesn't end with jesus's triumph or entry which we'll look at but it actually ends with jesus's triumph defeat of death and separation from god his triumph of death defeat of death and separation from God. Last week, our, one of our missions partners, Emmanuel from Ghana, uh, talked about God's timing and methods don't necessarily align with our timing and methods. 
you ever feel that way? Like, God, how come this isn't working the way that I think it should work or things aren't the way that I think they should be? Everybody feel that way spiritually, right? And, that, and that's the case. Palm Sunday is a great example of this. God's methods and timings don't always align with our methods and timings. And as I said, Jesus' followers thought Jesus was going to institute his kingdom in Jerusalem for his followers with power when instead his death on the cross ushers in his kingdom in a world seemingly in defeat. They thought he was going to kick Rome out and instead he defeated death, hell, and the grave. And they were left with powerlessness and loss. So like I said, Matthew 21 will be the first, we'll look at the first 11 verses this morning. And I'll read this over you. If you want to follow on the board, you can. And it says this in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Verse 6 says, The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Only the Gospel of John says palm, by the way. And the crowds that went before them and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Sing that, don't we, at Christmas, right? And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up and saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet I, or the prophet Jesus from the Nazareth of Galilee. So I'm going to go a little bit further. You know, actually, I think I'll save that. So, this is the prophet. So here's the idea. Jesus is coming in. He's riding a donkey. People are freaking out. They're raving... Uh, branches and palm branches they're throwing their jackets on the ground and this is the moment right like i said a second ago this is their finish line jesus who is now uh who has been for the last three years ministering in the country towns around jerusalem spending a little time there is now bringing his movement inside the city and so we're going to look at three ways uh, that Jesus presented himself in fulfillment of the prophecies from the Old Testament in Matthew this morning. Number one, and it just said it in verses 5 through 7, Jesus riding a donkey. As we were just talking about a second ago, God doesn't always work in our timing, in our methods. Jesus often works in a manner that we do not always understand. He, this is how he rolls. That's, how, that's what he does. He does it. When we think he is going to do X, and I, and I love this, when I think about this in my own life, when I think Jesus is going to do X, he usually does Y instead. I know somehow algebra makes sense in, in the sermon this morning, but it's true, right? Like, you, feel, you ever felt that way? Like, Jesus, I, I'm in this moment. I'm in this season. Finally, we're, you're going to do this for me. I, I appreciate that you've died for me. And he does Y instead. One of the examples is instead of answering direct questions with direct answers, he often speaks in parables, right? Like we think like, God, could you just give me like a simple answer? Like I can only imagine what the disciples felt sometimes when 
They're like, oh, here he goes again. He's going to weave this story to tell us something more. Like it gets a little annoying, right? But Jesus does that. He's frustrating for some reason sometimes. And I think it's because he wants us to actually love him more than what we love, what we, he wants, what we want him to do for us. All right? He says stuff like this. He goes, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood as a follower. I mean, really? I mean, I like barbecue, but that's a little too far. Whoever tries to save their life will lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, you will save it. Jesus often does Y when we expect he's going to do X. And that's what's happening. Jesus was going to give up his life to institute his kingdom instead of using power to overthrow the current kingdom. Get that? He never overthrew the current kingdom. He just instituted the new kingdom in the midst of the old one. And radically changed our reality. Jesus often comes in a manner in which we do not foresee. What people were expecting was that Jesus was coming to wage war against Rome and the religious establishment. He was going to purge Jerusalem of the Roman occupation and take his seat on the throne as the one to rescue and purify Israel. And so when you think about it, like, wait a minute, hold on a second. That means he needs to ride a war horse. Or something for battle. Most people think war horse when it comes to war. But instead, Jesus decided, don't miss this, decided to invade Jerusalem on a donkey. On a donkey. Zechariah 9.9, which is what the passage in Matthew is quoting this morning. I want to read that for us. Zechariah 9.9, let's just go straight to the place. It says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your kingdom is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey. On a donkey. Don't miss this. That was written 500 years before Jesus entered Jerusalem today. 500 years before Jesus Fulfilled this prophecy, he rode in on a donkey. Zechariah was foretelling specifically of the Messiah who would enter from the eastern gate. If you'll throw up the, the slide, please, of the map. Is it in there? You don't have it. Okay, well, there you go. So if we had a map, which I sent it to somebody, but I can't tell you who I sent it to. But if we had a map, right, the eastern gate, the Mount of Olives is where he came down from where he'll go back for the Garden of Gethsemane and he enters the eastern, eastern gate. It's called the Golden Gate. So just get this imagery. The Golden Gate, the gate, the gate closest to the temple, God's physical presence in the nation, for the nation of Israel within the city of Jerusalem and Jesus is riding in that gate and everybody's thinking, oh my gosh, here we go. It's about to be on like popcorn. I said it like that on purpose, right? But it's going to be on and instead he rides a donkey. And doesn't overthrow the government, but instead institutes a new one in the midst of the current one. And to all the people witnessing Jesus enter on a donkey, they would have known, oh wait, this is Zechariah. There was no New Testament yet. All they had was the Old Testament. So anybody who knows anything about the Old Testament would be like, wait a minute, this seems different. And you see that with how the crowd responded. That's why they were waving palm branches, and that's why they were throwing their cloaks on the ground. Jesus entering on a donkey, they would understand the significance that king uh, patterned itself after King David, Israel's greatest king, 
And the donkey, get this, I love this, which is a symbol of humility and peace. So it said, there it is. And so, in, hey, there you go, not too late. So you see it there, if I have my pointer, the, the, the red bars in the center there, that's the beautiful gate right next to the Mount of Olives. And so he rode in right there, right there. And the people were going crazy, crazy, because it was foretold 500 years before. Here's a modern-day picture. If it was zoomed in, see the Golden Dome? That's the Dome of the Rock. It's a Muslim uh, temple that sits on place of where the original temple sat. And that gate is boarded up because the Jews are still waiting on their Messiah, right? They're still waiting on their Messiah to come and rescue them. When, in fact, what we know is that Jesus is going to return. See the olive trees? Like, that's, that's, I mean, it's not that far. So can you imagine what it looked like as the crowds were swelling as they were receiving Jesus as he walked through the gate? And on the outside of the city, people are like, this is it. This is our moment. We've hit the, 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 the finish line. And the city on the inside was like, wait, who is this again? What's going on? Right? Jesus coming as a king of peace and humility instead of throwing Rome out makes and throwing Rome out he makes peace with God for his followers instead of making war. He makes peace with God for his followers instead of making war. Number 2, Hosanna the coats and the palm branches from verses 8 and 7. I want to read Psalm 118 25 and 26 real quick. And it says this Remember, he's saying, Hosanna to the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And Psalm 118.25 says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. That word Hosanna literally means to give success. So the crowd is saying, Ah, he's going to give us success. He's going to do what we can't do for ourselves. Hosanna. You ever experienced that in modern times? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. For three years, Jesus mostly ministered outside of Jerusalem and Nazareth and Galilee, which is to the north and northwest of the city. For three years, while Jesus attracted large crowds feeding the 5,000. That's a large crowd. 5,000 people being fed from one basket. Healing the sick. We were talking about it this morning. The woman who, was, who had, a, had a, a bleeding problem, and she just touched the hem of his garment, and, and, and she was healed. He didn't even do anything. She just touched his clothes, right? People were asking, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Jesus, while notable, I love this posture of our Savior this morning. Jesus, while notable, did not allow his notoriety to become greater than the mission that he was on. That's hard to hear because who doesn't love notoriety right jesus while notable did not allow his notoriety to become greater than the mission of teaching his disciples and followers of how to pray sending them out two by two to heal the sick and the sick and blind and build the kingdom and here's the craziest thing jesus often told people he encountered to tell no one of what he did for them until this moment Right? Like, he's like, hey, don't say anything. The guy that he, he restored sight to, don't tell anybody. Because it wasn't his moment. This is his moment. He had many moments, but this was the moment. And instead of 
hanging out and, and get, being outside the city. Now he's within full view of all the power structures within the city, and he is on full display, and the people are responding. And they're saying, Hosanna, they're saying, save us, son of David. And in full view of the city, he's receiving a royal reception. When people put their cloaks on the ground, it's like they're saying, please enter on this carpet. Let's keep the king and the thing that he's riding clean. There's no red carpet, but that's the red carpet treatment. You ever been on a red carpet before? You ever been like, you know, like, like served in such a way where you're like, oh gosh, this is really off-putting. Dean and I on our honeymoon, we're having dinner at a restaurant and between our courses, the guy was uh, brushing the table crumbs off the table. You ever been in a restaurant like that? Right? It's a little weird. Like, we're trying to have an intimate, like, we're on our honeymoon. Like, finally we're married, and this guy's brushing crumbs off the table. It's a little off-putting. Right? Can you imagine how off-putting this was to those who didn't know what was happening? Wait, these people are throwing their jackets on the ground. They're throwing their cloaks on the ground. They're waving tree branches. And I love this, just the idea of finally after three years we are no longer going to keep quiet. Jesus is no longer in obscurity. He is now in full view. Our King, our Messiah is here and now we will give him the reception he surely deserves and that he's going to earn for us. Earn. Because he's going to kick them out and we're going to be in power. Finally our time has come. And this is all done inside of the Roman occupation and the chief priests. And I love this. Like, if you think about it, when people have a real encounter with Jesus, like, think about the last time you've had a real encounter with Jesus. You could respond in one of two ways. You could either receive that encounter or not. Right? Like, I, think, I mean, how many moments through my week and just through my life where I'm like, I come face to face with where I think I am and then with where Jesus is, and His grace and mercy, He holds up the mirror and says, yeah, you're not there yet. You ever feel that way? You know, and then out of that grace and mercy, because he loves us so much that he'll show us the mirror, we get the opportunity to respond in kind to that. And then look at the response of the city in our final example for the morning. Number three, the city stirred. Let me just read that again real quick. The city stirred. And they're like, who is this? The whole city was stirred up, and the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The city wasn't sure. And when you have a real encounter with Jesus, you either receive him or rebuff him. There's no middle ground. And that's what I love about following Jesus. Like, I always know where I stand. And where I stand is, is it doesn't matter what I do or how good things are or where things are, where I think they should be. Like, there's always a place of grace to respond with Jesus. In his great love, I could always be honest about where I am. I could always be honest about who he is. And it feels threatening, right? Like, it feels threatening. But on the back side of that, there's actually freedom. I actually get released from the things that hold me. And I love this, too. Jesus is still going to be the same no matter our response. Like, You've got, on one hand, the crowd saying, Hosanna, son of David. And then the city's like, wait, what's going on? And Jesus is still going to be the same person either way. Like, like, he's the only person that I know that's like that. I know I try to, you know, provide at least, you know, a, a stable thing, a person for my wife. But sometimes she's like, you know, if you're cranky, she doesn't know if I'm going to, like, lash out or 
if I'm going to be like in a good mood or bad, right? You know, like we all vacillate as humans, but Jesus didn't. He was always the same. And I love that image of, can you imagine just the pressure? Like hundreds, maybe thousands of people saying, it's our time. And then the hundreds of people within the city, thousands of people to see like, wait, what's going on? And Jesus is in the center of that, like the eye of the hurricane. And it's still the same person. He doesn't run, but he doesn't fight either. He remains. And you'll see that picture of remaining in the garden on Good Friday. He doesn't fight when he's going to be arrested. He doesn't flee like the servant does. He stays in the fight and stays in the middle. That's the picture I think that he calls me to be. And I'm so bad at it, you know, but it's just that remaining. Can I be true to who God's made me to be? Can I be true to how he's created me and gifted me and still be true in spite of all the pressure around me, whether I'm accepted or not? And the reality of it is this, like Jerusalem did, I did, you did. Sometimes we will all have to come to face to face with the Son of God at some point in our life. We'll have to. We'll have to. Psalm 118, 1-4 says this. Just so you know, spending, asking everyone to, to spend time in Psalm 118 this week as we prepare for Good Friday and Easter morning. But 1-4 through 4 says this is another prophecy of, of the Messiah. Uh, I love this. His steadfast love endures forever is the note there right above the, ver- the chapter and it says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And then look at this. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. The nation. That's na- the nation's response to the Messiah is that his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron, the priests, the, the people who are in charge of the, of the religious system, let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. And then... Verse 4 says this, Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. So I don't know where you are in in, in that spectrum. I don't know where everybody was in the spectrum uh, in in our text this morning in Matthew. But the response is, His steadfast love is going to endure forever. And either we're going to respond some way. And I think there's actually great hope in verse 4. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Not from a, well, you know, we're going to be, we're going to make this argument where you have to respond. It's the, no, it's the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs says that the, those who fear the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And so we know the story, the Palm Sunday story, as we've looked at it this morning. Um, but this is fulfilling the prophecy that Jesus is being rejected by his own people and his own kind. And so while Palm Sunday is great, it gives way to Jesus being all alone on a Good Friday. So just think about it. I mean, like in the period of a few days, he is gone. He is moving from being surrounded by great crowds and acceptance to being all alone in the garden on Friday. When, and he's got his most trusted people, his disciples, like his crew. He's got his people with him, and yet they can't even stay awake to pray. And yet he's praying in such a manner that he's going to start sweating blood because of the pressure and the strain and the stress of what's coming. Like, if, I'm, if I ever sweat blood, like, please someone call an ambulance. 
You know, I don't need prayer. I need medical intervention. Yet Jesus is going to face that alone. He's even going to question why God forsakes him on the cross. And so, but before that can happen, though, he has to clean the temple. So back to Matthew. And after he enters, this happens. So after the triumphal entry, this happens. He cleanses the temple. I read in verse 12, he says, just quickly, he says, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, there he is quoting Old Testament again, so much Old Testament in this morning, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. A den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. I love this. In the sight of God's presence, literally in the physical presence of God's physical presence in the city, in the nation, Jesus starts healing people who are sick. He starts healing people who are sick. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, there you go again, they were indignant, meaning they were offended. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, you have, never, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there, which is just on the backside of the Mount of Olives. So we all love this picture of Jesus, right? So like they think, okay, here's our time. He's got the whip out. He's overthrowing tables like it's some Monday Night Raw or WrestleMania thing. And now he's going to kick, it, he's going to kick them out. And now we're going to take power. And what does he do? He leaves. Because it wasn't his time, even though it was his moment. And here's the deal. It wasn't the problem that there were money changers in the temple. According to the, the, the religious system of the day, there had to be sacrifice offered for sin. And so they were there, right? But it's not that they were there. It's where they were. You know where they were? They were in the court of the Gentiles. Do you know who a Gentile is? You and me. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. And so I just love the foreshadowing, because here's what the cross said. Not only does it save Israel, ultimately, when they realize it, but it also gives you and me, someone who is not God's chosen people, the opportunity to be a part of God's chosen family. And so when he runs the money changers out, he runs them out of the, tor- the court of the Gentiles and moves them back to where they should be because he doesn't want anyone who is Jewish or not Jewish to be able to not come to his presence. See that? He's foreshadowing what's going to happen on Good Friday with the cross. He's making a way for you and for me. And I love it. Before Jesus could break down the dividing wall between God and humanity at the place of God's presence, Jesus first has to it. He has to get it back to the way it needs to be. He has to cleanse it. And likewise, before Jesus will reside within us, he first has to purify us. And that's us accepting his uh, death on a cross on our behalf. Before Jesus will reside, he first has to purify. And that's our great hope. That's what this week is all about. No matter what you've done, no matter how you live, no matter where you are, whether you've left a hundred times or this is the first time you've ever been presented with Jesus, there is a place for you at the table.
and glory and praise to him. Because if it's on me to work my way to God, I'm gone. I'm gone. And I love that. So, as we're working through, what is the spiritual significance of Palm Sunday? Let me just say this. Don't miss this this morning. The spiritual significance of Palm Sunday is this. Jesus, God in the flesh, right? God in the flesh, no longer hidden in God's holy nation, in God's holy city, at the symbol of God's presence, driving God's chosen people to a decision. Let me say that again. Jesus, God in the flesh. I mean, this is Trinitarian stuff all over. I mean, it's, it makes my brain hurt. But there's awesome and glorious things in it. Jesus, God in the flesh, the God who is revealed. Not the one that's a mysterious that we will see one day in heaven. God revealed himself to us in the flesh, in Jesus Christ. He's no longer hidden. We don't have to figure out where he is. We don't have to figure out what he's about. We get to respond directly to him. In God's holy nation, his chosen people in, his, in the holy city. G Jerusalem is so holy, no matter from which way you approach Jerusalem, you're going up to Jerusalem. Whether you're coming from the south or the north or the east or the west. It's in the scripture. It says we go up to Jerusalem. That's how important Jerusalem was. And at the symbol, the, the temple, you know, they used to have a tent that they would move around. God's, God's home, his Airbnb on earth, right, was it moved around and then finally they got one settled for him. Um, it's a symbol of God's presence. It was a symbol of Israel's strength and power. God right in the middle of it. The fact that there's a mosque on top of it tells you how important it is. The fact that there used to be a, a Christian church really close to where the temple was destroyed is really important. The three dominant religions, Judaism uh, and then Christianity and then the Muslim faith, they're all right there. All vying for the same piece of rock. Right? God's presence driving God's chosen people to a decision. And he's doing that today. And so the question is this. Are we going to be like those outside the city welcoming him with palm branches and cloaks on the ground? Or are we going to be the city like, wait, what's going on? I don't understand. Let me read you Malachi, another prophecy out of the Old Testament about the Messiah. The first four verses out of chapter 3. Malachi 3, I love this. This is awesome. If you're not moved this morning, you need to check your heart because this was written way before Jesus showed up too. And he said this, Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming. Jesus is doing away from the you got to get yourself all cleaned up covenant and just accept my grace covenant doing away it's going away the kingdom is not coming the covenant is going away and a new one is coming and the lord sorry i skipped this in my assignment i skipped the verse and it said and the love the lord whom you will seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you like behold behold he is coming says the lord of hosts but who can endure the day of his coming who can stand when he appears for he is like a refiner's 
fire and like a fuller's soap. And he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. That's the cloaks and the branches, y'all. And then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. As in the former years. So again, Jesus in the flesh, God in the flesh, in God's presence, in God's city, in God's holy temple, asking God's people to decide. And so what decisions do we need to make today as we prepare to walk and celebrate in Holy Week? Band's going to come back up. We all have decisions we have to make. We make them unconsciously every day, hundreds and thousands of them. What I'm asking of you is this. Make this one conscious. Make this one focused. Make this one something that you won't just leave in this moment when we leave this place, but will come back to every day this week. And the reality of it, it starts with this. How are you going to receive God? Is it going to be with thanksgiving and palm branches? Or is it going to be a question of, wait, what am I doing again? What's he up to? And the reality of it is, is while this is, could be just any other week, we have an opportunity here not to treat it that way. And as we march toward Good Friday, which we'll celebrate Friday at 6 o'clock, as we celebrate the worst day on the planet of history, and call it good, and call it good. And as we celebrate his resurrection on Easter morning, and it becomes great, and that we don't have to work our way to God anymore, and that we could rest in his grace, the question is, is this going to be the same week as any other week, or is it not? Is it going to be the same week as any other week, or is it not? And so as this band's going to play, I just want you to sit and reflect. I can imagine some of the decisions that are before us right now. Some are good. Some are hard. Some are what we've planned for. Probably most aren't. That's how life is, right? You don't, if you would have told me this is where I would be a year ago, I'd been like, you're crazy. Because you just don't know what's coming. But there is a God who does. And there's a God who has a plan and a purpose for you. And it's to give him glory when things are good and when things are bad. And so as we, again, reflect on who Jesus is and what he has done, especially in this week, I would ask you, take it seriously. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. I thank you that we have Palm Sunday to show us your goodness and your glory. And Lord, as you as you often do things differently than what we think you're going to do, I think that's a good thing. Because if I had you figured out, then maybe you're not God anymore. But when I don't have things figured out, you certainly are my God. And so I pray uh, that for me and for all of us that are gathered this morning, that we would look at you as our God, not as something that we've got figured out. So whether things are going well or things aren't, whether things are in a good place where they're frustrating, Lord, I pray that you would just meet us in those needs. We know there are lots of things going on in the world that impact us on a daily basis, but this is the decision, this is the moment 
that impacts us the most and for the most good. So as we sing and as we reflect quietly, God, I pray that your spirit would move and just draw us back to the goodness of who you are. Lord, we thank you. It's in your name. Amen.